the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, If you haven't listened to the show before, hey, welcome aboard. This show is divided in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The second part of the show, we talk, you know, nostalgia, politics, history, and on the you know, the second part of the show, one of our guests is Curtis Lee, who's running for mayor. And I always remember Curtis with fondness because when I first came to the station at 970 a.m., Curtis and I would talk about history. We did a five minute segment each week on a show. And listen, Curtis is probably one of the smartest, better educated people that I know. And, and I don't say that lightly. So Curtis is now running for mayor. I, we all know he's a character, but let's see what's happening. But with me today, we have one of our lawyers, Nicole Donnelly. And I learned something from my interview with Curtis today. Did you know there was an animal welfare party, Nicole? I did not know until we began discussing it. And I want to know where I can sign up to be part of this party because I feel like that is the perfect party for me. Okay, well, I think you can, you can do about it. But part of Curtis's platform, and I found this in from a couple of our clients that came in the Manhattan office the other day, you know, what, what some people might call the cat ladies. But they're, they're behind Curtis right now because <laughs> Curtis announced the fact that he's part of his program and he's the only candidate he's talking about this, that shelters can't kill animals. You know, so I don't know what he's going to do with them, what his long-range plan is, but... Uh, a lot of people like that idea. It does it it does rub one the wrong way that, you know, cats that are kept for seventy two hours can be euthanized. The same with dogs if they're found on the street. If they can't be adopted within seventy two hours, they're gone. It it does rub one the wrong way. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm a the biggest animal rights activist in the world, but still you you, you hate to see poor innocent animals being euthanized. Well, I normally don't stand with the cat ladies of America. Me as a dog lady, I can finally say we see eye to eye on something very strongly. And like I said, Curtis, if you're listening, you got a good candidate on your hands to support you. So reach out to me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to see what Curtis is in the area. Uh All right. But in the meanwhile, let's get back to estate planning. And again, the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount of taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. So each week we have usually we have one of our attorneys, you know, pick a question that's been emailed to us. Nicole, what's our question today? We have a very interesting situation here today. It reads, I am an informal caregiver for my mom. Since my dad writes me a check from their joint account, can I count the first $30,000, which is the $15,000 per parent, received as a gift instead of W-2 income? That's the first part of the question. Okay, well, you know, yes, you could probably do that, but I think the second part of the question puts a... Uh, a little it bit of a an conflict in there. On it. In addition, my mom would be reimbursed through long-term care insurance for the money I received from my parents. Well, I think if mom's going to get reimbursed for long-term care insurance, then it should be, you know, 
paid compensation and should be reported on the income tax return. But yes, you know, you could do work for your parents and in gratitude, they give you $15,000 each and it's not reported as income. But if mom's going to take that and, uh, you know, put it in for reimbursement with their insurance company, I think we're doing a little double dealing in there. So it's not quite right. And, and listen, I know people do it all the time. And I know, let's say, let's say for the VA compensation, there are a lot of children that put in for VA compensation and they don't declare it as income and nobody ever says anything. But again, it's not quite right. Um, and, and here's one thing, you know, this brings up, you know, tangentially to some extent. There are programs in New York City Medicaid where a child can get paid to help take care of a parent. Now, joking aside, obviously the payments from that are income. They have to be reported. You have to pay taxes on it. But there are programs in New York City where a parent can hire a child or someone else, maybe a grandchild or a nephew or niece, to be their home attendant. And, and they get paid good. They have good benefits. The Hourly rate's not the best, but they get good benefits, and it's a good program. And the same thing, and and I don't think almost anybody ever looks at this, but those people who served in the armed forces of the United States during time of war, a veteran, you don't have to serve in a war. But if you serve during a time of war, for instance, let's say for the sake of argument, like 62 to 75, I think it's May 31st, 1975, if you've served in that time period... You you are a veteran. Even, let's say, a guy like myself who spent two and a half years in Germany, I'm a veteran. If the need ever arose where I needed uh, home care, it's possible I could get you know, VA benefits to help pay for my home care or assisted living. And a lot of people don't really know that. So if, if you're a veteran and you served during time of war... You may be entitled to 2000 a month to help keep you at home, especially this is more for people with you know low assets or people who have high bills in nursing home or assisted living. And a lot of assisted livings can tell you how to do this. But you might lock into it if you're, if you're a veteran or a family of a veteran member. Look at your DD-214. See if you have the National uh, Service Medal. And if you have that medal, in theory, you're entitled to you know, VA compensation to keep you at home. Now, again, it's not, if you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank, it's not for you, but your house doesn't count. And if your spouse has a lot of assets, you're not eligible. But for those people who don't have a lot in assets, just maybe have the, the house or whatever, you can apply for this program. Now, for this program with the VA now, there's a three-year look-back period, which it gets very confusing because New York is going to put in a 30-month look-back period for home care Medicaid on the first of the year, which means if you're going to avoid that 30-month look-back period, you have to put your application in before the end of the year, which means you have to be eligible on December 1st, so you can put an application in during the month of December. So if you're thinking about home care Medicaid, let's say our, what's her name who asked the question? Samantha. Yeah, Samantha, if she wanted to, she could apply for home care Medicaid for her mother if she got everything done before the end of the year, which, believe me, is not hard, and put an application for medical assistance Medicaid, she could be employed by mom as her home care worker. Yes, you got to pay taxes. You don't get money for you know nothing. Yes, your parents can give you $30,000, and you don't have to file an income tax return. But you know if you want to do it legit and you get paid, yes, you can do that. Plus, your parents, if they wanted to, could give you $30,000 on top of that. And, and let me just explain the gift taxes a little bit. Right now, and it may change, there's no gift tax under $11,700,000 federally. New York State, it's roughly $6 million. I'm rounding a little high. But there's no technical gift tax. If you live more than three years after making the gift, the gift is not taxable. If you make a gift to somebody, let's say your aunt literally had close to $6 million worth of assets, and she gave you $6 million today. She's a New York State resident. She's never made any other gifts to her lifetime. She's never going to make any other gifts in her lifetime. That $6 million, for the most part, will not be taxable if she lives three years. If she doesn't live three years, it may be subject to a very marginal tax. 
So gift taxes are really not a problem for middle class. And if you receive the gift, you do not have to pay taxes. It's the person who makes the gift who's supposed to pay taxes. But for the most part, gift tax is not a problem for the middle class. And, of course, if you move to a place like Florida, there's no gift tax under $11,700,000, state or federal. So gift taxes, again, are not a problem for the middle class. And when we talk about that, we can give 15000 a year to each person. So if we have a husband and wife, and they have two kids, and both kids are married, wife can give $15,000 to her daughter, $15,000 to her son, $15,000 to her daughter-in-law, $15,000 to her son-in-law. Husband can do the same thing. So you can give an awful lot of money away without filing a gift tax return. But two cautions on that. That does not, because you can do that as far as the IRS is concerned, does not mean you can do it as far as Medicaid is concerned. If you gave away $120,000, husband and wife, and then the wife, let's say, was going to a nursing home in a few months, Medicaid would consider that $120,000 gift. Basically, you would have an 11-month penalty for nursing home care, which means you couldn't apply for nursing home care for 11 months. 11 times $15,000 right now for nursing home care, it's a lot of money. So you got to be careful. Put a plan together. we got to take everything to account. we got to take into the capital gains. You give $120,000 worth of stocks, you pay $10,000 for those stocks, and they're worth $120,000 now. You give the stocks to your kids. Your kids are going to have to pay capital gains when they sell those stocks. So you got to be very careful. Again, to get a good plan together, you got to look at everything. You got to look at the capital gains tax. You got to look at the um, estate tax, gift tax, and you got to look at hey, if I do this, what am I going to do if I have to need to apply for uh, Medicaid, whether it's home care or, or nursing home Medicaid? So if you want to give us a call at Connors and Sullivan to go over this plan, give us a call at 718. 718- Two three eight sixty five hundred seven one eight two three eight sixty five hundred. We're going to take a short break and listen to Kevin McCullough ask another question. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Hi, Kevin McCullough. We love to give you uh, a first-hand response from a very real question from a very real person to the very real Mike Connors of Connors and Sullivan every single very real week. Mike, this week's question comes from Alexa. She's from Sunset Park. She said, do I have to open a probate case after mother's death? She had very little. I don't understand the point. Also, who needs to be notified beyond the obvious, like banks and insurance? Signed, Alexa. Mike Connors. Well, the point is, if you don't, if you don't have somebody's name on your accounts, it goes through court, it goes through probate. If you don't have a will, it goes through court administration. So that's the point, because how else do they know? How does the bank know who to pay it over to? But And who has to be notified? Each person who's your next of kin by law has to be notified. So if you have children, all of your children, if one of your children passed away, grandchildren. If you don't have children, grandchildren, you're not married, you know, your brothers and sisters, nephews and nieces, whatever. In some cases, a lot of people have to be notified. That's why you want to avoid probate. You avoid probate by having somebody else's name on the accounts. And that's something that you can establish long before the, the terrible day comes. 
Uh, and friends, uh, take care of it now. In fact, call Connors and Sullivan and ask them all about probate, all about trusts, all about getting everything put in place so that you've planned properly when that moment comes. Here's the number, 718-238-6500. They have offices conveniently located in five locations throughout the tri-state. You should call them, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And be listening as Mike Connors answers more of your questions on his own broadcast, Ask the Lawyer, on uh, AM 570 and FM 102.3, the mission, Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. and Sunday mornings at 11 on AM 970, the answer. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. Thank you again, Kevin. Now, uh, you know, our guest at the end of the show today will be Curtis Lee, who's running for... for uh, mayor and I always have fond memories of Curtis when he was at 970 the answer and being on a show each week again he was probably one of the smartest most literate uh, radio hosts there are out there meanwhile we're still taking estate planning questions and we have Nicole Donnelly with us Nicole uh, let me ask you something how long have you been here now well, Jesus, it's only been <laughs> about 20 years. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. He knows we're good. No, it's about to be a year on June 29th, although I feel like I've been here for about 20. I can make a sarcastic comment, but I won't. Um, <laughs> you, you came up with another question, Nicole, that's floating out there. What is it? I did, I did. So, the question reads, My husband and I have about a million dollars worth of assets. We did our power of attorney about three years ago where we named my daughter as our power of attorney agent. At the time, I did not realize or did not know any better, but we only filled out the short form. My husband now has dementia. Is it possible for him to re-sign a new power of attorney? Yeah, uh, you know, and I hate to put the words out of there, it depends. But, you know, dementia, once you're over a certain age, everybody has a little bit of dementia. But, uh, you know, one of the questions I always ask, does, you, does your spouse recognize you? Do you speak in sentences with them? Does he know who you are? Can he follow instructions? Can he initial in different places without serious prompting? And, and you know, I think most people can sign a power of attorney unless – they're so far gone. And, and also, there's a circumstance like, is there anybody out there who's going to contest the power of attorney? You know, like if it's a, a person has beginning dementia, beginning Alzheimer's, and they're still pretty good. Yeah, and then somebody might, you know, if there's a disgruntled family member out there, somebody might contest. But if everybody in the family gets along and, you know, mom or dad does speak in sentences they recognize their children they know who their children is they can make a choice as who they want to be you know in charge yes you can sign a power of attorney and it, it, let me mention two things about a power of attorney relative to this question the power of attorney forms are changing on june 13th new york state in its infinite wisdom has decided to change the new york state power of attorney form now, this does not mean if you signed a power of attorney before June 13th, you have to sign a new one. In theory, um, if you sign a power of attorney before June 13th, it's still valid after June 13th. I know there's going to be some confusion when the law rolls out just because when they changed it about 12 years ago, we had a lot of confusion. A lot of banks were mis comprehended the, the law or whatever. So, yes, I know we're going to have problems. But if you sign the power of attorney 
before June 13th, the old form is good. If you sign it after June 13th, you're supposed to use the new form. And I hope there are not going to be too many people signing it on June 13th. It's a Sunday. We get a question, you know, uh, about that. And another thing about a power of attorney, the standard form, whether it's the old form or the new form, doesn't cut it if you're going to be in a Medicaid situation. So let's say you have a husband and wife. We want to transfer assets. Husband's going to a nursing home. He's got a million dollars worth of assets. And some of the assets may not be joint. Or maybe you want to access his 401k or IRA. Or maybe you want to transfer the deed to the house. Well, a standard form power of attorney does not cut it. And, you know, people tell me all the time, but the, the, the power of attorney was done through a lawyer. Not every lawyer has the same expertise in estate planning and elder law and knows what needs to be included in the power of attorney. And I'm going to throw the ball back on me. If you're getting a divorce, don't give me a call. You know, if you get arrested, don't give me a call. If you get in a car accident, you, you can call me and I can certainly refer you to somebody who does know what they're doing. But we don't know what we don't know that much about car accidents, divorces, personal injury, things like that. So at the same point, there's some general practice lawyers who really are not expert in estate planning and elder law. And if you're going to protect your family, you need a power of attorney that allows gifts giving, that allows trusts, you know, allows pooled income trust. Because in a lot of cases, um, you can apply for home care Medicaid, but if you can't put your income in a pooled income trust, you might not be eligible for Medicaid. And, and a lot of people get caught in that situation because Medicaid looks at the power of attorney and says, well, this power of attorney doesn't allow you to um, – Make transfers to a pooled income trust. You're not eligible for Medicaid. Because remember, they don't have to work on your file if that's the case. So they like looking at this. Ah, ah, we got you. You're out. So, Nicole, where'd you go to law school again? I went to Toro in Central Islip. There was nothing around but the courthouse, so I became very familiar with it. And it made me the fighter that I am today for you, Mr. Connors. (laughs) Okay, now I know your, your last name is Donnelly, but you speak Spanish. I am fluent in Spanish. My mother is Colombian and my father is Irish. And my mother taught me Spanish before she taught me English, which drove my dad crazy. (laughs) (laughs) What part of Ireland is your family from? Come on now. Why do we always have to have these kinds of conversations? Okay, all right. Just asking. General interest for the the audience. You know I don't know these answers. Okay, all right. In any event, we're going to have Curtis on. And I didn't know this until I spoke to Curtis. But there is an animal welfare party out there, and Curtis is campaigning on, you know, no-kill shelters for animals. Michael, did you know that? No, I did not know. Well, I knew he was campaigning for no-kill shelters. I did not know that there was a party dedicated to animal welfare in the city, so that's news to me. So, Nicole, are you going to be a member? I am going to be the president. Watch out. I'm coming for you, party. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be chairwoman, but, you know. I'm willing to take any position available. If you guys are listening, call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure we, I'm sure we can get a hold of Curtis sooner or later. He's not that hard. In fact, he say, he, when we interviewed him, he says he's right outside our middle village office. So, um, Don't worry, Curtis. I'm coming for you. If I don't find you in the next month, you find me. It won't be hard. Well, he's going to be having a fundraiser in Bay Ridge before too long, so I'm sure you'll be able to catch up with him. Now, you know, some of our conservative friends are going to be a little upset because they're endorsing Joe Pepitone for mayor, who we'll have on again. Bill Pepitone. Bill Bill Pepitone. Pepitone. I'm sorry. (laughs) Joe Pepitone was a first baseman for the Yankees. Um, (laughs) And is Bill Pepitone's uncle. Right. So So, Joe, Joe Pepitone, I understand this is from Bill James, that the Japanese baseball word word for screw up is Pepitone. Because of Pepitone's career in Japan <laughs> after he finished playing in the major leagues. I am not sure that's true, but if you don't believe Bill James, who are you going to believe? <laughs> All right, I guess we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by Nicole Donnelly. As we've learned today, guys, no wheeling and dealing, just call the lawyer. And my son, Michael. <laughs> Thanks for joining us right now. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. 
His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, in my office the other day, some people were commenting that they're going to vote for Curtis Lewa and th- those people, you know, the cat ladies. They're 100% behind you now, Curtis, because why? <laughs> because... One of my main platforms is to make sure that there will be no kill shelters in New York City any longer. So the women that were talking about their cats that they love so much, uh, very reflective of my own wife and myself, who's gone out and rescued 15 cats from shelters where they were scheduled to be euthanized simply because they could not be adopted out within 72 hours. So we're finding, uh, finding quite a bit of support it actually crosses over political lines. I'm finding people who voted for Trump are supportive of that, no-kill shelters, people who voted for Biden, people who are really not political at all. So it's almost like something that brings together people in a bipartisan way. So, And I'm the only candidate running for mayor who has that as part of his platform. Okay, well, very good. Now, listen, getting some other issues, you know, when we both grew up in New York, I grew up in Brooklyn, like you, and I remember you started the Guardian Angels. Why did you start the Guardian Angels, and do we we need more Guardian Angels today? Well, it was back in the late 70s, and even though I'm from Brooklyn, I was up in the Bronx as a night manager of McDonald's in the Fordham section. And the crime was horrific. In fact, the crime was so bad. And the fiscal malaise was so bad, the city was on the brink of declaring Chapter uh, 11, that uh, the mayor at that time, Abe Bean, began laying off massive numbers of uniformed police officers. So especially at night, from 7 p.m. at night to 5 in the morning at what they call the off-peak hours of subway ridership, there were no uniformed cops. So the criminals just had their way. And I figured, hey, look, I've got to take the trains to get to the McDonald's. I was still living in Brooklyn at the time. Uh, a lot of my crew takes the subways, and it's the veins who are working class people in the city, especially those who work the swing shift and the graveyard shift. And uh, some of those who worked for me, and when we closed the store, we'd go out and patrol the subways. And I figured, wow, you know, I'll earn the Congressional Medal of Honor for this. This is really something that's good. <laughs> I couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. I was vilified, as were our members. People thought we were the Hells Angels, thought we were vigilantes, thought we were like cast characters out in the movie at that time that has become a cult classic to Warriors. And so we had to really prove ourselves in a very difficult uh, situation that eventually led to Rudy Giuliani becoming mayor on a law and order platform in 1993. And with that, he officially recognized us and there were no further problems in terms of the cops misunderstanding our motives and what we were doing. So uh, that was an era in which, like now, crime was driving the politics of the time. And it's the politics that gave us Rudy Giuliani. Uh, first time he ran against David Dinkins in 88, he barely lost. Second time he barely won. But it was because we were averaging 2,000 murders a year and crime was out of control. And we're starting to sort of reach that point now because the uh, student of David Dinkins, Bill de Blasio, is so out of touch, uh, does not have a program to maintain the safety of the city. And more importantly, has done everything within his powers to weaken the police by defunding the police by a billion dollars, not hiring more police and restricting them from being proactive to the point where now they're reactive 
and at times just incapable of responding to people's needs. Well, let me. What would you do to if you were mayor? What would you do to change, you know, the system? And I mean, you mentioned part of it, but what else would you do? Well, number one, you have to refund the police. You got to put back the billion dollars. But you also need additional police because we're down to about thirty-five thousand uniformed police officers, and that we're at a critical level, and we're losing others because of early retirement. There's so many cops are saying it's just not worth it, especially of late. They've stripped them of what they call qualified immunity, uh, requiring cops to go out and get malpractice insurance the way a doctor or a lawyer would. No other civil servants have to do that. Judges, district attorneys don't have to do that. Elected officials don't have to do that. They're protected from civil suits by what we call qualified immunity, the taxpayers. But they decided to make the police no longer have qualified immunity, which is going to make it even more difficult to find police who would be recruited and trained and to get the police to be proactive again because they'll always be fearing that the very next move that they're going to make will result in a personal lawsuit and possibly them fiscally dissolving. So what I'm going to do is challenge that right away. Uh, I'm going to hire the additional 3,000 police with a dedicated property tax against those that don't pay property tax now, like Madison Square Garden, Columbia University, NYU, Rockefeller Institute, uh, Cornell Medical. And that'll give us enough money to get us to the point that Rudy had in 1993 when he had 38,000 cops to go out and make sure that the streets and the subways and the parks and the schools were safe again. Because without that, you cannot resurrect the economy. People are not going to want to come back and work in the city. They're not going to want to visit the city and spend their money. And they're not going to want to visit the city as tourists and enjoy New York, the greatness and grandeur that we've always associated it with. Curtis, let me ask you another couple of questions. Why did you decide to run? And, and can you win? I mean, a lot of people say, how can a Republican win in New York? Well, that's part of the problem is that if you keep repeating that enough times, people are going to believe it. But I ask your audience, uh, remember Mario Cuomo, he is running for a fourth term. Everyone just assumed uh, that it was a holding pattern before he would run for the presidency. They already were fashioning out the fifth, fifth spot on Mount Rushmore for <laughs> what they thought would be President Mario Cuomo next to Washington, Jefferson, uh, Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt. And he was on his way. And then all of a sudden, a guy that nobody knew, George Pataki from Peekskill, New York, came out of nowhere to beat Mario Cuomo. And it's the same thing. The issues here in the city are law and order, crime, public uh, safety, and most importantly, quality of life. People don't associate Democrats with that. Every time we've had a Republican mayor, Giuliani for eight years, Bloomberg for 12 years, Pataki as governor for 12 years, We've had law and order and public safety. When have we ever had law and order and public safety with Democrats? When Koch and Mario Cuomo were in charge, crime was at an all-time high. David Dinkins made it even worse. And now with de Blasio and Cuomo, it's not only bad, the crime, but the, the police officers themselves have been impaired. They're, they're not able to actually go out and do their jobs. That never happened with the 20 years of Republicans when they were in charge of the city through the mayoralty or the 12 years of George Pataki. So likewise, I can follow in their footsteps and do exactly what they were able to do, especially with Rudy Giuliani, who just just the other day endorsed me and said, I'm the guy who can restore law and order and public safety to New York City. Now, is there any better expert on how to do it than Rudy Giuliani when he came into office in 1993? Of course not. Now, you probably know the city of New York better than any other living person. Are you seeing out in the in the neighborhoods, are you seeing like uh, a backlash against de Blasio and the Democrats? Well, it's interesting because uh, that is my selling point to many beyond just those who are Republicans. And I have a Republican primary on June 22nd and early voting before that that I have to get through before I can get into the general election with the survivor of the Democratic process. So I hope people, if they're registered as Republicans, will come out and vote for me. But more importantly, I can go into neighborhoods in the general election where no Republicans have been seen other than Abraham Lincoln on a $5 bill. 
And it's not like I'm visiting those neighborhoods for the first time. I'm a well-known entity. And even if people disagree with my, my positions, my platform issues, my ideology, they'll at least listen to me, whereas they might not even give the time of day to uh, a normal kind of Republican. So I have a, a distinct advantage in running in the general election. And then I'll have the independent line, the animal welfare line that that can possibly get people to vote for me in a general election who would never vote for a Republican. So remember, right now, the Democratic race is very cluttered. Uh, They're going to have to have a survivor in that process. I'm favored to win the Republican primary on June 22nd. And then you know what the issue is going to be. It's going to be law and order, public safety, quality of life, zero tolerance and Nobody associates any of the Democrats with those issues, even if they had an epiphany and they've discovered those issues in the last few months. They know that I've lived my life for 42 years fighting for that, uh, not only in New York City as leader and founder of the Guardian Angels. But in- now, let me ask you just Guardian animal welfare party. There is such a thing. Yes, yes. Uh, for no kill shelters. So it'll give people an opportunity to vote in another way other than voting uh, uh, just for me as a Republican. So there will be a wide, vast opportunity of people to be able to look at me, not from the prism, the political prism of thinking, oh, he's just a Republican. I can't vote for him. But no, maybe I ought to open up, think about what he has to say, the different issues that he's taken positions on and find out that I'm really a populist that I really am a representative of the people. And I'm not just saying it, but I've been doing it all my life. Uh, and I think that's what's going to come to the service in the general campaign. But if people want to learn more about who I am and what I stand for as Curtis Sliwa candidate for mayor, they can go to CurtisSliwaForMayor.com. That's CurtisSliwaForMayor.com. Curtis, we look forward to seeing you in the neighborhoods. Good luck to you. Well, in fact, I think I'm passing one of your offices here on Metropolitan Avenue right, right now, Glendale, Glendale, and that's right, Middle Village. Hey, look, yeah. that's your office. Well, I know we're going to see you in Bay Ridge before the end of the campaign, so. Oh, absolutely. Bay Ridge, Nike Heights, I've spent a lot of time there. We know that. Thank you for, you know, thank you for supporting the neighborhoods over the years. And then, listen, good luck. We really, we really mean that. Well, I'm a borough boy, and I'm proud of that. Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, and Staten Island. That's uh, where my source of support comes from. You want you want to give your website one more time? Since it was sure. a minute ago. Just go to CurtisSliwaForMayor.com. We could certainly use the contributions to build a firewall to fend off what we know will be attacks from the Democrats. That's Curtis Sliwa. For mayor.com. Thank you, Curtis. Oh, anytime. I'm in a good place in my life. And I'm energized by new adventures. I've got friends to laugh with. And a good relationship. But even though I'm kind of comfortable, I sometimes wonder is there something more? Could God in church be what you're looking for? Come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. 
because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. And we've now been joined by my wife, Beth. Hi, everybody. And, of course, my son, Michael, still here. Greetings, everyone. Now, people have been asking me, when are you going to do seminars again? And I've been asked that for almost a year right now. But we are going to start doing seminars in the end of July. Michael, what are the times? Okay, so at the end of July for this year, we're finally doing in-person seminars again, uh, which is something to get excited about if you've enjoyed those in the past. Or if you haven't been to one and you're looking forward to getting some information. So, Tuesday, July 27th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. We have it in Marine Park at Buckley's. That's 2926 Avenue S. Once again, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. at Buckley's in Marine Park, 2926 Avenue S. Wednesday, July 28th, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m., we have them in Maspeth at Connolly's. That's 7117 Grand Avenue. 7117 Grand Avenue, that's Connolly's in Maspeth, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. on Wednesday, July 28th. Thursday, July 29th, we have seminars at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. In, here in Bay Ridge at the Bay Ridge Manor, just a, block down, just a little ways away from us here. That's 476 76th Street. Once again, the Bay Ridge Manor, Thursday, July 29th, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. And finally, Friday, July 30th, we have them in Bayside at the Adria Hotel. That's 221-17 Northern Boulevard. At 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., there are only two at the Bayside location, which is the Adria Hotel on Friday, July 30th, at 221 Northern Boulevard, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., Friday, July 30th. Now, not all the sessions, most of the sessions are going to be live. I'm going to be there in person. I'll be there in person, really, for all of them. I'll answer questions at the end. But a couple of the seminars are going to be done, you know, on tape. So make sure, if, if you want to see me live... Make sure you ask. Uh, we'll have our seminars up on our website, which ones are live and which ones are, are taped. But I'm doing at least two live seminars in each one of those locations. So if you want to schedule an appointment for, for one of the seminars, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. And the seminars, the, the main point about most seminars, what most people have a question about, is how do I give my house to my kids? And... Part of the problem I think we're going to have in the seminar, we're not going to sure exactly what's come out of Washington, but we'll do our best guess based on the time and what what's running around in the papers and so forth. Now, also, um, if you have a question you want to ask the show, I mean, we, we answered a number of questions this evening. Uh, Michael, where how do they send how do they uh, email us a question? If you have a question you want emailed to the show to be read on air, or if, if you don't want it read on air, then make sure you clarify that it's a private question. You can email us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors is, of course, spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. And you may get to hear your questions read on air. And, and here's the thing. You can use an assumed name, an alias, or something like that. We don't care. Just trying to get out there and, and, and answer your questions because I know sometimes some of the questions uh, are a little bit personal. If somebody hears it, they might be able to figure out your name with your first name or whatever. So if you want to put an assumed name, you want to put anonymous, fine. You know, the Just idea don't make is it that, too crazy. Right. The idea is that you have a question, we, we try to answer it. And we still have our seminar floating around YouTube, don't we, Michael? Yes, we do. Um, if you want to watch our, one of our video seminars, you can go to YouTube.com and just search Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. You should see that as the first result right there. That's YouTube.com. Just type into the search bar, Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. All right. Now, you know, Beth, you know, I learned something today with Curtis. Did you know that there was an animal before today, that there was an animal welfare party? I did not. Okay. Because I learned it a couple of days somebody? ago 
went to the Manhattan office and, you know, you know, the Manhattan office, some of the cat ladies came in <laughs> and they were talking about their wholehearted support for Curtis because he's, no in fa- idea. he's in favor of no kill shelters. So and apparently well, it, even, it has a lot me. of support in our office. Well, it sounds good to me. He'd be he'd be watching after our auto if something happened to us. Yeah, well, I think Otto could get adopted, but I mean, that's we have a pet trust for Otto. Remember that. I know that. I know that. Not everybody has a pet trust, so bless their hearts. You know, those no-kill policies. I think they're wonderful. Now, some people are probably going to say, well, "What are we going to do with all these stray cats and dogs?" Okay, I guess Curtis has a plan. I- we'll ask him about it next time. <laughs> Well, did, did, we, did you? T- does everybody know that we had a wonderful time? No, nobody knows that. You haven't told anybody that. Uh, those of you may or may not know, especially if you follow Michael's Instagram or Facebook or whatever else there is out there. We've been on vacation, um, and one of the highlights of the vacation for our Civil War fans, we went to see the Grand Presidential Library papers in Starkville, Mississippi, at Mississippi State. And it really is a very impressive exhibit. Um, John Marzalak, who I think most of you remember, who has been on the show a half dozen times, is executive director of the Grand Presidential Library in Mississippi. And, of course, one of the questions he gets all the time is, why is the Grand Presidential Library in Mississippi State? And the family wanted it there. And, of course, Mississippi was one of the most important states in the career of U.S. Grant. You know, he fought the Battle of Vicksburg in Mississippi. He fought the Battle of Shiloh in Mississippi. And it it was an important part of his career. And I think Mississippi now appreciates Grant in in retrospective of all his military accomplishments in in that area. And that's why the Presidential Library is there. But, Beth, I I know you enjoyed the, the exhibit. I enjoyed it. It was, uh, first of all, it was clean, neat. The people are wonderful. Um, it's And maybe it was COVID. Maybe it was just because the kids weren't in school yet. But um, you, there were video things that you could sit and watch. Um, one of the most extraordinary things, they had his uniform there on a mannequin from when he was in West Point. He's a very small person. You know, uh, from the pictures, you can see that he's not large, but he was a, a very small person. Um, and the nice thing about the museum, it goes from the beginning of his life until after, through after his presidency. You know, you don't think about it, but he traveled in Europe and everything. It was, it, it was an extraordinary life. He's an extraordinary person. And I know you and Michael always talk about his his memoirs, but um, I I just had a wonderful time. And then it is housed within the Mitchell Memorial Library at Mississippi State. Holy smoke. My maiden name was Mitchell, and my ancestors were from Mississippi. They were the Unionists from the Pearl River region in Mississippi. So I've got to do some genealogy to see if if the memorial, the Mitchell Memorial Library, are some distant cousins of mine. Now, speaking of, I mean, this just crossed my mind. But speaking of Civil War round, the Civil War Roundtable and Civil War history in general, um, this week we're going to be having our Civil War Roundtable meeting. We're going to have um, Professor. Excuse me for one minute. Professor Dave Carlion, who's going to be talking about Lincoln's oratory and the impact that the theater had on it. Um, it's It should be a very interesting talk. Uh, from what I understand, this is very new scholarship on Lincoln's rhetoric um, that actually a few people are seemingly miffed about not knowing. So, yeah, you know, here's one thing. I'm not sure presidential politics have changed back then. Presidents didn't necessarily make speeches the way they they do to, uh, you know, presidential candidates. And and in fact, before Grant, I don't know if anybody ever made uh, before Lincoln. I don't know if too many people made speeches, but Lincoln became famous for some of his speeches. And that led him on his road to the to the presidency. 
And you got to remember, you, you know, it's weird, weird the way politics have changed. Abraham Lincoln was a one-term congressman who won the presidential race in 1860. You can't even conceive of something like that happening today. Yes, you could have somebody like Donald Trump or Ronald Reagan coming out of the, you know, different parts of politics, but even Ronald Reagan was governor for eight years. And but back then, you know, you could you could lose races and, and run for president. He lost the race for senator of Illinois. Now, who today could lose a Senate race in their home state and then at the same time, a couple of years later, be nominated for president of the United States? So the political dynamic was a lot different back then. And it's something, you know, you have to appreciate in history. Maybe it was better. You know, I, now maybe you, you, it was better. Yeah. Yeah. Now you lose one race and you're out. You're a loser. You can never run again. You can never do anything again. Uh, back you then, you could lose it. Lincoln could lose you know, the, the Senate people, campaign and then run for president a couple of years later. Well, listen, today, you know, you've got all the people that make the politicians. You know, uh, Lincoln pretty much did it on his own. You know, so I know it was a, a, a weird race for people. But um, today, the machines are so powerful. And 24-7 news, everybody knows what's going on in the moment. Back then, you could have a misstep and come back, you know? Well, that I mean, the 24-7 media cycle is certainly one of the things that exacerbates all of it. You know, it's... it's the the perception once once you any failure is so public that the perception becomes unshakable right. that's ultimately you know right. there's no such thing as being new at that point to anyone and when you lose that right. new feel then unfortunately you know for for whatever reason you know what i mean look at look at what happened to Rick Perry on paper one of the strongest candidates in 2012 had one bad debate and boom right that was all people could think about him from then on well, that you know, Nixon and Kennedy, you know that that one. Well, that television TV changed debate. everything. Yeah. Absolutely right, right. But Nixon was one of the guys who came back from defeat. And again, when you think right. about his impact, and I know a lot of our conservative friends, Nixon is not their favorite Republican president, but still, he was a factor. You know, you think about it. He, you know, within a twenty-year period, uh, you know, he's vice president. He won the vice presidency in. in 52, 56, he barely lost the presidency in 60. He comes back to win the presidency in 68 and then wins, you know, big in, in 1972. So think about the, the political genius of the man who nobody liked. Apparently nobody liked. Right. You know, but right. he, he still was able to be a force on national politics and except for 1964 was involved in every presidential election. Well, I don't know how we got talking about presidential elections, except maybe from Curtis talking about running for mayor. But listen, we're hopefully we're going to be on the same stations next week, same times. Thank you for listening to Esther Boyer. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye-bye.